Even when you try to maintain a healthy diet, it can be tough to get all of the nutrients you need for long-term health. Care of makes it super easy and even fun to figure out what vitamins and supplements are best for your diet and lifestyle. Go to takecareof.com and take a short quiz to get your personalized vitamin recommendation. Use offer code AMR at checkout for 50% off your first month of vitamins. Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah in Portland. And this is Dimity in Denver. Hey, Dimon, I hear you had uh, some sort of race last weekend. Is that right? That was a good non sequitur, Sarah. Good job. <laughs> uh, yes, yes, I did. And I was not in Denver. I was in Colorado Springs. And I was on the roof of Colorado, as it were. I wasn't on the tallest mountain, but it was pretty dang tall. Pikes Peak, 14,115 feet. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that to, because uh, of the really, like I, I said in the webinar last night for our 13-point fun, we got these shirts that were so ugly. Oh, my gosh. I'm sorry. If you're listening. Listening, Pikes Peak Organizing Committee, you did an amazing job. I mean, you have to get water and Gatorade and snacks and stuff to some very remote places, but the shirts, oh, they are bad. They're um, they're like, uh, well, we said if you played for the Vikings or the Rams, oh, you no. would like them. They're that bad kind of sporty purple color with, oh. you know, two um, two yellow bands around oh. the arms. They're long sleeve. Oh, no. Oh, my gosh. And also, like, what not a natural kind of Colorado color? Like, to me, Colorado is blue, green, kind of sagey. Well, that's, yeah. You know, well, so, so two things. Well, that was the ascent. I did what was called the ascent. So I just went up the mountain. Mm-hmm. That was on Saturday. The Sunday was the marathon where you can go up or down, up oh. and down. Oh, um, give and, me chills so, just thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and so the ascent we've learned is always purple, and you know um, that song "Purple Mountains Majesty." Yes. Mm-hmm. That's the Pikes Peak was the um, oh. inspiration for that lyric. So that so that song was the was the inspiration for. Um, no, Pikes for, Peak was the inspiration for that song. Yeah. yeah. Pikes Peak was the inspiration for that song. And then we realized as we were at the starting line the next morning, after we bemoaned these shirts for, you know, a long time, because it's really fun to beat a dead horse, um, <laughs> is um, that it's always purple. That mm. people had, like, you know, shirts from 2011, 2012, and it's, it's like a different Ooh. style, but it's always that kind of Viking purple. So mm. I guess that's something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I'm not really one to wear race shirts anyway. Um, yeah. I just, it's just not something that I normally do. So I don't know with this one, but um, well, could come, you, it could if, come in handy for something. I'm not sure what. Yeah. Well, if you go home, you know, to Minnesota, then you can wear it to a Vikings game, right? <laughs> I can't. I can't. Well, <laughs> it'll be uh, too cold. You know, <laughs> you'll have to exactly. layer, get a purple coat. <laughs> exactly. One of my uh, Becky, who ran it to her daughter, goes to a high school, and those are her colors. Oh, nice! So she's like, "I'll wear it to football games." <laughs> that is a great idea. So, all anyway, right. So, so but... like I said, I've kind of dissed on the shirt, and I don't mean to be harsh, but you know, because you I... know, and, it, and it's unisex too. I, you know, and uh... I'm pretty much anti anything unisex at this point. I mean, there are enough women runners that we deserve shirts that fit and flatter. Amen, sister. You betcha. End of story. Yes. There. So, yeah. and I got to say though, I've just been dying here details of the run because you and I 
are hard at work on the third book. And we also sometimes like to keep the conversation fresh for the podcast. So you and I have barely heard any details about what the actual run up was like. Well, it wasn't a run. Like I said on the last um, podcast, it's more of a speed hike. And it really was truly. I mean, I think I probably... Um, ran 30% of it, if mm-hmm. that. I mean, it's just, um, it's first of all, it's really hard to run up the hill um, <laughs> with pretty mountainous terrain. Um, I mean, the, the winners, the winners ran up that thing in like two hours. And there were some places oh. that I was like, I just, I can't even imagine running this. Even if I had the trail to myself, it would just be so hard. I mean, you know, there's some boulders that come up to your knees, like you're really scrambling and, oh. um, and just some of the inclines. Um, I never really felt the thin air, which was good. I mean, I think part of it was the pace that I was going and a part of it is that I was acclimated somewhat with the training runs. Mm -hmm. So that part didn't feel like, wow, I couldn't do it. It was just more like, how could you run this? You know, tell folks what your finish time was. My finish time was um, four hours and 16 minutes, mm-hmm. um, which um, is, uh, they say that it's basically a flatland marathon time. If mm-hmm. you live in Colorado, if you don't, if you live in flatland somewhere, mm-hmm. it's your marathon time plus 30 minutes. So mm. I feel like 416 is a pretty good, um, I feel like that's kind of where I am if I yeah. were to go marathon train. Yeah, that, would be, that would be your, I think your marathon PR practically. I think. Mm, yeah, close to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, so it was good. I mean, it was, it was a tough race. I mean, in that, um, it wasn't, it was hard physically. I mean, I won't lie. I mean, I don't want to minimize the physical discomfort, but it really, that part wasn't what was challenging for me. Mm. Um, what was challenging for me was, um, the relentless uphill, mm-hmm. like usually even in a race that has a lot of Hills, you get just a little bit of time to kind of gather yourself again, yes, you know, yes. <laughs> before you have, you know, it's usually downhill where you can kind of take a deep breath and be like, okay, I did that. I can do another one. You know, uh-huh. yep. um, there's a couple places on the course where there's, you know, very, very minor downhills. Um, but for the most part, I mean, you're just climbing and, um, and the good news is that the impact was very minimal. I have to say, I mean, my legs are tired or were tired and still are a little tired, but nothing, I do not feel beat up like a marathon oh. at all. Huh. At all. I mean, because, you're just going up, you know, there's no impact on your joints. Yeah. Um, and that just is huge, huge, huge. Mm-hmm. Um, and plus the, the, you know, you're on a trail too. So, I mean, there was a ton, a ton of people from Oklahoma. I don't know, but <laughs> what about Oklahoma? Oh, Oklahoma. <laughs> exactly. I speak something is intriguing to the Oklahomans. And so, um, so, uh, like I, I walked with, I was hiking with two guys, um, from Oklahoma for a while. And then, in the, and then you get, you get to the top and you take a van to a school bus to get down a van and, to a um, school bus. Uh-huh. Yeah. Cause it's so steep that they have to use the vans first. Cause I think the school buses would um, blow out their brakes. <laughs> um, so, uh, so in my van, there was a guy from Oklahoma and like, this was his third time doing it. And, uh, and he said, he's a cross country coach and he says he'll, he'll be able to go and jog his word with his team on Monday. Oh. Um, and I ran yesterday. I mean, I think I ran like five or six miles with some pals yesterday, just a very um, conservative pace, but it, it, it didn't beat me up, which was really, really nice. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so that, so that part wasn't challenging. What was challenging was the relentless uphill. So, I mean, so it's first a mile and a half on pavement mm-hmm. to get to what's called bar trail and bar trail basically takes you to the top. So there's this jockeying on the pavement because once you hit bar trail, it is 
narrow. I mean, it is not wide at all. And so you really want to be, especially if you want to try and push yourself up the mountain, you want to be towards the front. Well, the hard part about doing that is that if you do that and you push yourself too hard, you're going to blow up. Right. And then, and, and then I would also feel like so guilty about like slowing people down behind me. Well, like, yeah, I mean, you can pass people. I mean, mm-hmm. it's definitely, you know, but, um, you know, you, you know, if you're going to blow up, you're not going to blow up, you know, in the first four miles, you're going to blow up when you get up to, you know, 12,000 feet. So, um, so, uh, when so I need was, supplemental op- oxygen, you mean? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That, that point. So I knew that I wasn't going to go out too fast on that first mile and a half because I didn't, I didn't want to be in that pressure to, to go really fast up the mountain. And I also didn't want to blow up. So mm-hmm. you get onto the trail and I just immediately felt really claustrophobic. I mean, that was the only mm. thing that I could think about because you're kind of in this like tapeworm of athletes. And I mean, <laughs> you know, I can hear the person puffing and puffing behind me. You know, I'm, you know, I'm just looking down at the shoes of the person in front of me, making sure I don't, you know, step on their heels. Like it's just <laughs> this like relentless kind of, you know, march up the mountain. And that's what it is for like the first I would say up to about mile five, there's these, I mean, I'm not going to get all geeky, but there's parts of the, what? I was going to say, can I tell you how many times you've used the word relentless in one, describing one thing or another? Like, it sounds like many aspects of this race were relentless, like the relentless uphill and the relentless line of people. Well, it it was, it was just, it was just, it just, yeah, that was the, that was the adjective of the day. It was relentless. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so then it opened up a little bit, um, after about three miles and that's when, um, the trail, like I said, we got a couple of those little downhills, Mm -hmm. um, and we got, um, you had a little bit more space to pass. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's funny. I mean, this this is entertaining, so I'll tell it. So, I mean, those first three, the first, when you first hit the trail for about three miles, it's this thing called the W's. Um, mm-hmm. They just have different descriptions of the trail as you move your way up. So during the W's, it's very narrow. It's pretty steep. A lot of switchbacks. It's just not really conducive to passing. And the only people who were passing at really, really inappropriate times were <laughs> older men. And I'm like, what is up with that? Like four guys that were, you know, gray haired, um, short, I will say they were short (laughs) and not just short because I'm tall, but short. And I was like, what is up with these egos? And on the last one, I mean, the guy almost took me out and I, and I said, I mean, it was obnoxious, but I said, do you really have to do this right now? Because what they do, they move up, you know, two people ahead of you. It's not like they're going to like, oh, yeah. it's all like, of a sudden, like open up their stride and take up off the mountain. It's, you know, it's like the people on the freeway who are like, oh, okay, you just pass on the right and then cut that person off. And now you're two ahead of me and we're stopped in traffic. Like Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and it really pissed me off. Like I was not, I don't know, for whatever reason, like the claustrophobia plus these like guys. And I just, of course, gave them huge egos because that was the only people that I felt like. So anyway, I'd like to say it sounds like they were relentless dickheads. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, was going to say something else about their anatomy, but I won't. Um, so uh, so anyway, so then we, the the trail opened up. You got a little space to climb, you know, to to find your space, find your rhythm, run some. I mean, I did run some mm-hmm. um, at that point, um, and then it's then it's just more climbing. And uh, I mean, it was a beautiful day. Mm. Um, I tried to talk people. I mean. It was very apparent to me that um, 
the, the, the difference in uh, people who are from Colorado and people who are not. Oh, oh because, yeah. Um, <laughs> the level I, of I mean, panting. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's exactly it. The level of panting. I mean, you know, I mean, the woman, this woman in front of me um, who was in front of me for a while, you know, I was just talking to her. And she's like, oh, I've climbed this a ton of times. She'd never done the race, but, mm-hmm. you know, she'd ridden her bike up on the road. And oh, just, boy. I mean, and she was, she knew a lot, which was great. She's like, it's about to get easier. I'm like, sweet. I like that. And like, tour guy. <laughs> tour, yeah. Uh-huh. And, um, and so she was, you know, she and I could carry on a conversation but like my two friends from oklahoma um, uh-huh. that i was i was carrying on the conversation for us nice. you know <laughs> well, Which fine. i mean it's like when when we were in granby up at your mom's place a few weeks ago doing some some business strategizing um i mean i just couldn't pant hard enough you yeah, know i yeah. just and and uh, oh my goodness i mean i got i got that claustrophobic feeling just from the altitude, from, from, you know, like the drive back to the airport and we were driving up switchbacks. And I was like, there's not enough oxygen here. So, but I have to ask, so did you get like a headache? I mean, you went, you went high. I mean, 14,000 feet is high. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't have much of a headache. I mean, I, I had, um, my ultimate hydration pack on <laughs> with, um, so I drank a lot. I drank a lot of noon. Um, and, um, and then I, uh, also drank some Gatorade when I felt like I needed calories too at the aid stations. Mm-hmm. Um, I, my back hurt. My back, oh. that was probably my biggest thing is my back hurt. So I did um, take some Advil oh. about to, uh, half the way up just mm-hmm. because, again, it was like, you know, you're just kind of a little bit tipped over that yes. whole time. Yeah. And um, it just kind of got to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, so, I mean, one thing that was like kind of my like, perpetual conundrum was what do I do with my arms? Because it wasn't like, you know, you know, you weren't like hiking like fast. Like I didn't need like 90 swinging brisk, you know, um, my, my natural inclination when I climb is to put my hands on my hips, uh-huh. you know, that, that creates this diamond that is really, cause I have such long arms. It's really, um, not conducive to anybody getting past me, you know? Right. So I kind of feel like roadblock, you may not get past me. It also know? probably looks like you're posturing, like, uh, you know, trying to just be, you know, making an obstacle for people to get around. Yeah, which I wasn't. It's just the most, that's the most, that's my most natural place. So then uh-huh. I kind of hung them. I hung, like, I would hang my thumbs on my pack and kind of, because I just In I a hokey want... kind of like, yeah, I got some straw. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yep. Exactly. <laughs> so I wasn't sure where to put those. So that was, nice. that was a big problem of the day. Um, <laughs> and then, and then after that, I mean, I just, you know, you just keep going up and um, we got to tree line, above mm-hmm. tree line. So that's when obviously the trees stop and mm-hmm. everything is just kind of rocks and moss that was about mm-hmm. mile 10 and the switchbacks up there for the first mile were super um nice they were flat and there was a, again another girl from uh colorado springs you know mm-hmm. she's just bounding along and i'm like she's like oh look at this this is amazing and i'm like yeah i know and you know and uh, i'm like are you from here and she's like yes and i'm like all right i'm gonna stay with you for as long as i can because you have so much good energy um and then it got harder um and she and she kept climbing up through the crowd and i um and i backed off a little bit but um yeah I, you know there was just it was it was i mean it's a very hard race to put on you know because mm-hmm. like i said the eight stations i mean people hike in on friday night and they you know they start bringing water days before oh, um boy. You know, and they um, and they have search and rescue teams um, kind of positioned along the route because um, there were some people that were not doing well. I mean, there was oh, one woman oh. I saw at mile eight, and I just her face was as white as a sheet of paper, oh, and boy. I was like, oh, and I, and I know that feeling. I mean, I have had altitude sickness before I lived here, and it is the worst. I mean, it it just feels you just feel like such 
ass, excuse my language, but oh my. there's no other way to describe it, you know? Tim, I felt so bad after we ran for an hour in Granby yeah. at 9,000 feet, and then I swear there you go up when you're going toward the airport on those switchbacks on that whatever that one road is. Yeah. And, I mean, I felt like garbage until I until my plane landed in Portland. I mean, yeah. my head was pounding. I felt nauseated. Yeah. Oh, it was awful. I mean, I just, I, I mean, I would have just been like li- just draped over a rock on that on that race you did. I mean, I, yeah. I there's I could not have done it. I have no, I harbor no illusions. I could not have done it. Yeah. Okay. So when I pick my team next year to do it, I won't. Yeah. I won't, yeah. Won't you yeah. No, no. Um, but yeah. So like she, and then yeah. And as you got higher, more and more people were kind of stopped and propped up on rocks or draped out on rocks. And I mean, I felt really bad for them, but you almost like you don't want to stop moving because you just know that it's just harder to get going. Oh well, you, and know? you don't. You so, don't want to pick up their energy either. You know, no, or the, have, no. have your energy be sucked out of you. Yeah. So this was a total dimity move. So we're near getting <laughs> close to the top and. uh this this young uh, I thought they were a couple, but God I, bless Pike's Peak. Close close <laughs> to that. Well, so this guy, this couple passes me, and they may not have been a couple, but it was a guy and a girl, and um and they go kind of whizzing by me, and uh and then like ten steps later, I look up and the guy is sitting down. I'm like, you are not allowed to sit down. <laughs> you had a good pace going, and he's like, you're right, you're right, thanks. And he got up and kept going. And I was like, yeah. You're not going to whiz by me and then just sit down like it's nothing, you know? Dimity so. not only helps mother runners, but any, no matter what gender, she helps the runner. Yeah. Well, and I could tell that he was feeling, I mean, he was obviously feeling fine. He was just, you know, taking a break because it was a nice little pedestal there for him it to al- do so. It also is, I mean, you do have, uh, you do oftentimes come up with very encouraging, um, sometimes witty comments, but I also think part of it is, is like, wow, this really tall woman is just like Tell barking out. Barking out orders of me. I got to do what she says. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so, um, so, yeah, so the end is that um, you look up. I mean, I have to say this is probably the most unfriendly finish line <laughs> in the world. I mean, because it's, it's the last part is called the 16 golden steps. And it's not, but it's not 16. It's 32 switchbacks. Um, and I think it's probably about. Wait, did you, did you count that Rain Man or did. did... No, no, no. It's, okay. it's all labeled. And it's okay. Labeled. I mean, it's, yeah, like I, like I said, there's all these different sections of the trail and it's called the, the 13 golden steps. 16 or 13? I'm, I'm sorry, 16. And it's really 32. And I did not count them. Okay. Very good. Um, but, um, but you know, you can hear the finish line. I mean, when I was still under the trees, mm-hmm. I could hear the finish line because oh. the air is so thin. And as a crow flies, <laughs> it's probably a mile, but you have to keep zigzagging up the mountain. Oh, oh. Okay, so you've been hearing it for the past, you know, 70 minutes or something because the last mile, I mean, the last couple miles, the last mile, I think, probably took me at least 25 minutes. Mm-hmm. Probably the one before that took in that range as well, somewhere between 20 and 25. So it's not like, oh, I have two miles to go. I'll be there in, you know, 24 minutes. Uh-huh. It's like, no, I'll be there in an hour, <laughs> you know. And you hear they had those awful, um, oh, those annoying corns that they had the World Cup. I don't know how to say oh, them. The vuvuzelas or whatever. Yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah. So those are blowing at the finish line. We've been listening to those for the past you know, Ricola. see this stupid finish line and it is i mean these switchbacks are super short super narrow and the 16 golden steps are really um quite technical as far Mm -hmm. as like having boulders in the way i mean they're not technical like you're gonna fall and hurt yourself but it's like you're you know taking big steps up and kind of scrambling a little bit and 
anyway. <laughs> I was just like, for the love of God, you know? And then I'm like, and some people were running it. I'm like, I am not running this. And I just. Oh, particularly. It. Yeah. Otherwise you'd be like telling us about the, the latest break in your body, you know? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> the gash so, in your, that, that went down to the bone in your shin or something yeah. like that. If you would run it. Oh my goodness. Exactly. But then you finish, you finish, you get your medal <laughs> and then you've got to climb more. I'm like, no. Oh, no. I'm like, stop. You know, it doesn't end on the flat part of the mountain. You have to climb up, you know, a couple more, probably, I don't know, 30, 40 more feet. The funny, the funniest part of this is, is I saw Bart Yasso. Um, oh, yeah. He did the ascent as well on mm-hmm. Saturday morning and he was there Friday night mm-hmm. and he was telling me about how it's all runnable. I'm like, <laughs> BS. Like maybe he, it might've been runnable when he was, he, he did the marathon at one point and I, I'm sure he did very well. He's a very talented runner and I'm uh-huh. sure he, he said he ran it all and I'm sure he did, but like, God, I don't, that is not all runnable in my mind. Ever. Well, and also on Twitter, he, I mean, you definitely, your time was a lot. I mean, Bart has admitted oh, it's faster than him, but he's yeah. also, I mean, he's probably 20. I don't know how old he is, but yeah. Um, and he had his, and it, what was it? Lyme disease or. Yeah. Something? I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was surprised to hear that he was going up. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Wow. Wow. Well, um, um, I have to say, um, it does not sound like my cup of tea, the entire race, no. not my cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, you know what? And I'm, but I, that's okay. And it's not everyone's cup of tea. And someone was like, "Are you going to do it again next year?" And I was like, I, "I don't know." I mean, I, you know, we were talking about. Um, there's another race called the Imogene Pass. Maybe um, it goes from Uray to Telluride, Colorado. Um, and I was not. My Oklahoman friends weren't telling about it. My friend from Boulder, who was mm-hmm. uh, in my school bus ride, he was my seatmate. Um, <laughs> he was training for Chicago, and mm-hmm. he wants to go sub three in Chicago. Oh. Um, and so he, he's. I think he's very capable of doing that. But. Um, but anyway, he was talking about the, the Imogene Pass. And um, so I'm like, that sounds like a really good race. Like, so I think I don't want to do the same thing. Like, uh-huh. I, you know me, I'm like, I'm like one and done. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have no interest to go see if I can, you know, go up the mountain, you know, 10 minutes faster. That's not really right. interesting to me. So, so we'll see. I don't know. But um, yes, it's, 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 it is my cup of tea these days. I really just, I love the adventure. I love the spirit of it. I loved being out in nature and mm-hmm. not knowing, um, not having the pressure of splits, you know, I'm like, how long does it take me to climb the 16 golden steps? I have no idea. Like, how far am I going? What is it, you know? And it's just, so it's just like, oh, let's just go do it then, you know, yeah, and yeah. not worry about it. Yeah. So. Well, awesome. Well, I, I um, applaud your effort and I think you're awesome for doing it and, oh, and your attitude toward it and everything. So, so kudos thanks. to you. Yeah. Yeah. So, thanks. hey, hey, before we get to our guests, you do have to mention that um, right before uh, this podcast, you were talking to... Um, a mother runner that uh, might be of interest to the ladies. Oh, who's that? Me? I was talking to me inside my head. <laughs> Timothy, you did such a great job at Pikes Peak. You're right. Thank you. Do you want to write about that? Um, no, uh, Kara Goucher. I, we were fortunate to, enough to get some time with the amazing Kara Goucher um, for our third mother runner book. So we've got a little section um, mm-hmm. with celebrity, as we call them, mother runners. So we've got Dina Castor, Kara Goucher, Carrie Tolufson, Christy Turlington. Yeah, then we've got some not some people who have made their names not in running, like Christy Turlington and Summer Sanders and Jenny Finch, who was an Olympic softball player. Mm-hmm. And then we've got the mother of all runners, even though she's never given birth, Catherine Switzer, mm-hmm. um, weighing in. And um, so all we need now is, is Lauren Fleshman. So Lauren, <laughs> I know you've got nothing else to do, and you're probably listening to this podcast. So. Um, 
um, we, we've been contacting her people, her people, and yeah. hopefully we can get her in. But if not, um, it's still a very flush, great um, lineup, and I'm excited to, to keep pulling it together. <laughs> <laughs> with the, with that finish line in sight, we can hear the finish line. For, we've, you know, I know, right? Yeah, I've been hearing that, those Vuvuzuelas for, you know. Ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it is the the manuscript is due on Friday. So end of day Friday, right? So what time zone are we going to aim for end of day? I don't know. <laughs> I don't, end of day is midnight on the, on the Pacific Coast, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, but before that, we are going to be joined by um, Nancy Sherwood, PhD, who um, she um, is an expert who specializes in helping parents support healthy eating and activity patterns in kids as well as promoting healthy body image in children. And her official title is um, Senior Investigator and Director of Scientific Development and Research at a place called Health Partners Institute for Education and Research in Bloomington, Minnesota. And I... that's a mouthful, huh? It sure is. So I said... Nancy, what the heck do you do? Yeah, so I asked her and I said, hey, could you in like one sentence in layman terms tell tell me what that is? And she said um, she works at... It's a research institute connected to a healthcare system which is kind of like being a professor just in a healthcare setting instead of a university. So maybe perhaps the description that is more easy for us to grasp is she's been a runner for three decades and she is a mom of two. So uh, thanks for joining us, Nancy. We're pleased to be talking to you today. I'm happy to be talking with you guys. Yeah, we're, we're excited to have you. So before we launch into questions that we got um, on our Facebook page, we have a bunch of great questions from other runners about kids and keeping them active and eating well. We have to know all about you and how you keep yourself active and eating well. So, um, so first, tell us about um, your running history. Well, I started running when I was about 15, and when I first started, actually the first day I went running, I my friend and I in my neighborhood decided that we were going to you know, start running together. And so we went running. We ran probably about a mile the first day. And then the second day I called her, it's time to go. And it was raining. Mm -hmm. Um, And she decided not to go. But (laughs) I went anyway. And it sort of launched me. And uh, so I ran, you know, pretty consistently um, through high school and in college, not not fast, not super long. Um, and then when I was in graduate school, I started getting into uh, doing races. So I, I started with some uh, 10Ks and, of course, got the marathon bug and went on to do a bunch of marathons. And um, And you have two kids, is that right? I do, yep. I have a 12-year-old boy and a 10-year-old daughter. Yeah, and that... Go ahead, Sarah. I was going to say, and you took part in our Prove It Challenge, didn't you? I did. I Mm -hmm. did. Yes, that was really great. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So as Dimity alluded to, we got uh, questions from Facebook. We put it up saying that we were having an expert on who could um, talk about um, healthy eating and encouraging your kids in a healthy, active lifestyle and got some really, really great uh, varied questions. So um, we just decided that we would ask tribe questions instead of having us um, come up with some. Uh, so uh, I'll start... I'm sure I'll have, I'll have some along the way, though. Oh, and, oh yeah, definitely. When when I was putting these together, I was like, oh, wait, that kind of is like the, what's happening with Phoebe right now. So uh, so we will <laughs> interject um, a few things. So, 
So Allison, um, she says, I hear a lot about how not to talk to her plus-size 10-year-old daughter about food and exercise, but nothing about what to say. And she says that her daughter eats anything and everything, and she loves food, not unlike her parents, Allison says. And she will get some movement during the day, but clearly not enough. She needs the do's, not the don'ts, please. Well, that, that was, that's a good question, and I do think we hear a lot about, you know, what not to do, not to talk about weight too much, not to tease, but yeah, getting to what would be helpful is another, um, another, another concern or another issue. Um, and so I think there's a, there's a lot of different things to do. Um, one of them uh, is really trying to keep the home environment a healthy home environment so that the options that are around are healthy options, um, like fruits, vegetables, healthier snacks, and, and minimizing the less healthy options that kids and, and adults as well are prone to, you know, keep snacking on. So that's one thing. It's sort of making the healthy choice the default choice. Um, one of the things to think about is when um, you notice that your child is eating a lot and one of the issues is are they really eating in response to hunger or are there other reasons um, that they might be eating and, the, and overeating? And so one of the things that uh, this mom, Allison, might notice is what, you know, what's happening and are there ways that she could um, talk to her daughter and help her get more in touch with the, her, her hunger and, the, and figuring out what might be some strategies if she's eating for other reasons. Oftentimes a big one for kids is they're, they're bored. Um, and so really try to, trying to look at when, you know, if there's overeating going on, when it might be occurring and trying to figure out, you know, what's at the bottom of it and, and what, could, uh, what could the be, you know, what could the kid be doing instead. Um, can I interrupt so you for one second, Nancy? Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, so, so, so I'm just curious. So, I mean, I, I don't have a 10-year-old. I have an 11-year-old. And if I were to say to her, wow, Amelia, do you really, you know, are you eating those goldfish because you're hungry or because you're bored? I mean, that's, that's um, not going to get a great response, let me just tell you. <laughs> like, that's just, you know, I mean, even if I try to say it in, like, kind of a light, jokey way, um, mm -hmm. she's just going to take offense at that and, you know, probably storm off to a room that's just kind of where she is mood-wise these days. So, I mean, how do you even how do you even approach that? Because it's such a, like, like you said, you don't want to create issues about weight or diet or, you know, make them self-conscious. But at the same time, you've got to kind of get across a message like you can't eat all day long. So that's a really good question, and the important thing is to bring the whatever the topic, difficult topic, is up at the right time. So right in the middle of, you know, when your child is eating, to sort of bring that up is isn't necessarily a good time, and might you know lead to the child feeling, you know, ashamed or some you know something negative around eating. But trying to pick a time. That is good when eating, you know, when food is not there present, but just talking about um, whatever the times that you talk to your kids. I mean, sometimes I know a lot of us, including myself, uh, are driving my kids around mm -hmm, <laughs> in sure. the car to various activities or, sit, you know, sitting, you know, quietly whenever you have your time to talk. It, it might be gently kind of bringing, bringing up that topic. And, and sometimes um, with kids, 
it's not not even the conversation doesn't necessarily have to happen if you are identifying where there might be a, a pattern with um, overeating or or not being active, but it's how, as a parent trying to figure out what might be going on and then trying to, again, going back to the home environment, shifting things um, so that the the child is sort of directed towards the more the healthier option. So in the case of eating for boredom, maybe you notice that's happening and you try to figure out as a parent what might be some other things to occupy, you know, your kid's time so that that, that doesn't happen as much. So you're not having to, a lot of the, the research that we do, a lot of the programs that we do, which are about childhood obesity prevention or promoting child health, we actually don't aren't talking to the children, but we're really just working with the parents directly. Yeah, because because yeah. I also think part of it. I know that um, my son who just turned nine. I mean, he'll he'll say he's bored, or I'll see him, you know, just kind of fiddling around. And so that I think maybe it's sometimes looking for you know your your kid's boredom clues, and then being like, oh look, every time they get that bored look on their face, then they head to the kitchen and start rumbling through and seeing what there is to eat. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. So, um, but I think I also feel like that's just something in child. I mean, I mean, I still, I still feel like I eat when I'm bored. Sometimes, I mean, that's just it's it. That's a that's a tough trigger to turn off, isn't it? Oh, definitely. I mean, if you think about all the reasons that you know we ourselves and and people eat, it's it's not always you know just because they're hungry or you know it's. God, it's I would say that's probably what. That's probably like what forty percent of the time, and then maybe for me it's probably forty percent of the time. Twenty percent is boredom, and the other forty is stress. Right? <laughs> stress or emotional eating? Yeah. Well, it's funny that you say that because I was just thinking about um, you know when I talk to and give advice or give guidance to parents, I think about you know how do I how do how do I apply this myself? And I think well, if you're if you're doing what um, the you know, what's recommended, like 80% of the time, that yeah. probably gets you in the right spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's the good that 80-20, do 80. Well, and just even, and then and then we'll, we'll go on to the next question. But I, it's so hard. I mean, um, sometimes advice, well, obviously advice is really easy to give out. That's we're, we're good at doing that. And I'm not saying you're not giving great advice, but it's so easy to say, don't bring it in the house. and then the, And then you go to the grocery store and you're like, Oh my gosh, that looks so good. You know, I mean, is there any strategies other than just sheer willpower to say I'm not going to put, you know. Since 2011, BarkBox has been committed to making dogs happy. For humans, BarkBox is a delivery of four to six natural treats and super fun toys curated around a surprise theme each month. For dogs, BarkBox is like the joy of a million belly scratches. Bark boxes include all-natural treats and innovative toys to match a dog's unique needs, including allergies and heavy chewer preferences. Not a phrase I say every day. Dimity's dog Mason, an energetic Weimaraner, is eagerly awaiting his first bark box. Dimity let BarkBox know the breed, size, and even name of her dog, as well as the all-important chewing preferences. And now, on the 15th of each month, a new box will get shipped to Mason. Each monthly box is themed, like Country Fair or Brooklyn Hipster, with new and unique toys to keep dogs engaged, interested, and happy. If your pooch doesn't like something in the box, BarkBox promises to send something they'll love, for free, because BarkBox is all about dog happiness. Choose a plan. One, six, or 12-month plans are available. Cancel any time. Free shipping in the continental U.S. 
For a free extra month when you subscribe to a 6- or 12-month plan of BarkBox, visit BarkBox.com slash AMR. That's BarkBox.com slash AMR. Woof! Thanks to StoryWorth for supporting our podcast. StoryWorth is a subscription service started by a fellow who wanted families to be able to share their memories and anecdotes with each other. Here's how it works. Purchase a StoryWorth subscription for someone you love, and each week, StoryWorth sends that loved one an email with a question about his or her life. The person either replies with his or her story via email or records it by phone by calling a StoryWorth number. After a year, the stories are bound in a lovely hardcover keepsake book. My husband Jack and I gifted StoryWorth to his dad, and we're especially looking forward to hearing his tales about going to medical school in Dublin, Ireland, which is where Jack was born and spent the first four years of his life. Then we'll share the book with Jack's siblings. For $20 off, visit StoryWorth.com AMR when you subscribe. That's storyworth.com slash AMR. Milano's in my cart. I'm not going to get ice cream this time. You know, like we're just going to cut down on it. Is that, is it just really just consciously just saying, no, I'm not going to do it? Um, I mean, I do think that, you know, planning and making conscious decisions is part of it. But the way that I, that I um, think about it and, and recommend um, for people to do is to not have it be a black or white. Um, so maybe you decide to buy the Milanos because those are the things you really like and your kids like, but you know, some of the other things that you might have bought before you don't. So, so it's not saying that, um, I'm, I never want to have the message that you can have no treats or no, you know, no sort of unhealthy foods, but it, it's really about balance. Sure, sure. So don't buy the don't buy the Oreos along with the Milanos, <laughs> or don't buy the three bags because they're three for you know six dollars, <laughs> which is what I always do. I'm like, oh, it's a deal though, but it's a deal. Um, okay, well, so Laurel is in a little bit in a, a similar but yet different position. She says she, she has one um, kid who is underweight and one who is overweight, and she has she says I have no idea what to make and feed. It's like one child doesn't have an on switch when it comes to eating, and the other one doesn't have an off switch. Um, how do I not make this a big deal in my house? So again, kind of what are just some strategies to kind of minimize the focus on food and make sure that, that like you're more or less getting a healthy diet in your kids? I think one of the strategies is to, again, just have healthy foods available, which would be helpful, you know, regardless of a child's size and to do, you know, to avoid calling attention to it, but just by providing, you know, the right, the healthful kinds of foods um, and providing opportunities for activity, um, you're, again, sort of shape, trying to shape the environment to promote um, healthy eating and physical activity without necessarily making it a focus, a topic of conversation around the table. So, so, and Kimberly kind of has a question similar about her, how her three-year-old wants to eat nonstop. He eats breakfast and half an hour later, he's hungry. Um, and she wants to give him good snacks. So you talk about having healthful choices like string cheese, yogurt, raisins. Um, are those good snacks? And if so, um, can you also add to that? Like, what are some things that 
you know, besides baby carrots, I always think like, have a baby. I'm always, whenever my kids are like, I'm hungry. I'm like, go eat as many carrots as you want. Like, cause sometimes I just, I'm like, if you're that hungry, you can eat carrots. Cause I, A, I don't have to prepare them, which is nice. And B, they're kind of, you know, they, they crunch. So you have something to do, you know? So it's like, it's not like a yogurt where you kind of, it slithers down your throat and then you're not really sure. It doesn't have as, you know, doesn't require as much effort. So, um, so what, so what are some, so like, these healthy snacks? What, what's good um, for, what's good to have out? Well, I think some of the ones that she mentioned are, are really great options. Some other snacks that are, are good um, besides the carrot, carrot sticks are other kinds of vegetables cut up. Um, uh, and with dipping them in hummus or even, you know, some salad dressing that um, the child likes can be a good um, a good snack. Um, hard-boiled eggs uh, are sometimes a really good because of the protein, a good option. Um, my not every kid likes them. My daughter just eats the whites, um, <laughs> but you know that's the. Uh, if, I guess if you're going to choose the whites, are, right, that's are the best part. part. To eat. Yeah. <laughs> and edamame. Uh, a lot of kids like the edamame or sugar snap peas. You know, there's all kinds of different vegetable options, and you know, whole if whole grain crackers, the um, whole grain goldfish are are, are also good options. Um, another thing is thinking about the beverage part of a snack, um, and w you know, one of the things that we know is that sugary beverages, whether it's you know soda, sports drinks, or even too much, you know, 100% fruit juice, that that um, that isn't healthy for kids or, or adults either. And so, really focusing on trying to drink water more as the default choice with snacks is a good option as well. One thing that we've been doing around our house lately, especially that Ben loves, is like a snack plate. Mm. Um, he just likes a lot of different things um, oh. on a plate. And so even though, like, I'm actually giving him a lot of healthier stuff, it's the, the fact that there's, like, four things on a plate is so much more exciting to him than, you know, another pack of, you know, the peanut butter and, you know, the whole wheat crackers or whatever. So it's, like, the, my beloved carrots and some grapes and some cheese and crackers or, you know, just a couple of different things and not huge portions of them, but, you know, and then all of a sudden, like, he's had some fruits and vegetables for a snack, but it's because I've put it on a plate and made it, called it a fancy snack plate. <laughs> it's all, it's all that, so. You can make a, it, a, you can make it Italian and say it's antipasti, you know? Yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> it's all in the marketing. I mean, I, exactly. I think that's a great idea um anything that you know can get your kids excited or interested in you know healthy food options is a, is a good strategy i might borrow that one myself yeah sure. i guess i i sent my kids went to uh, a farm camp and it was had a cooking emphasis and boy that really got them excited about different types of food and just you know and then suddenly asking oh can we make spring rolls for you mom and i'm like I'm too busy with work. I can't deal with that. But then I'm like, okay, once you know, once the book gets out, then I'm gonna like let let's all make spring rolls together. So, but just it also just got them excited about a lot more different fruits and vegetables. Just kind of being, I don't know, surrounded by them and picking them themselves or something like that. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I mean, getting kids involved in cooking is a way to get them. If they're if you're having trouble with picky eaters or you know. Just, with taste preferences, getting kids involved in, in the cooking or the picking of foods at the grocery store is a really good strategy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
and things that I didn't even think about. Like they were, I didn't realize you could eat a tomatillo raw. And uh, I, I'd only like cook them and use them in like a sauce for enchiladas. And then they're like, oh, no, mom, we had them raw. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> 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 so, That's great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So but then Catherine has kind of the, the opposite of that, which is um, she said, most people have issues with getting kids to eat fruits and veggies. Mine is the opposite. My two youngest, she says they're four and six, hate meat. Never had this problem with the older kid. Um, it is a it is a daily protein struggle, and um, and then Ellen had a um, similar question: healthy food picks, quick foods for busy and picky middle schoolers, and about getting uh, less carbs and um, you know kind of more protein, and they don't eat much meat. So how how is it that we can get more protein into our kids? Because I particularly think that I mean you know it's like oh protein will become muscle, so let's get <laughs> let's get some protein into these kiddos. Well, and it helps with, you know, satiety, feeling full Mm -hmm. and, you know, Mm -hmm. carrying you over to the next meal. So it's really important to be thinking about. And um, some of the ideas uh, we were talking about before, like hard-boiled eggs, um, Mm -hmm. edamame, hummus, um, other options are having, you know, some kind of the kids' favorite nut or combination of nuts or trail mix that includes a bunch of things Mm -hmm. in it, um, including nuts. Those are um, some good options as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Dimity's beloved almonds. Um, I was was thinking about the almonds. (laughs) Yeah, not chocolate covered, though, or maybe just a few of those. Just cocoa dusted, cocoa dusted. Oh, yeah. When I buy pasta, because my kids are similar. I mean, they eat some chicken, as Sarah often says, you know, sometimes just a nugget form. But um, but there is a pasta that has, uh, I think it's Barilla, that has added protein. And it's like seven or eight grams uh, um, per serving. So Mm -hmm. I feel like that's a good. And so I usually I'm trying to 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 uh create some habits that will stick so for um we started school last week and um starting to make just a big uh batch of that at the beginning of the week um and so been sending that to my um in my daughter's lunchbox um instead of what i you know i usually send a pumpkin muffin but that I, that one i feel like is i mean it's pasta with butter and salt so it's not <laughs> it's not the epitome of health but at least there's some protein in it right oh that's clever yeah, another, uh, I, was, I forgot about this, but another good protein option that a lot of kids like is peanut butter. Um, so, you know, peanut butter, it, using it with, like, creating the little celery things with the peanut butter and raisins on ants, top. Ants or, on a log, you betcha. That's yeah. when we were talking about healthy snacks. I kept thinking, somebody say ants on a log. Somebody say ants on a log. <laughs> <laughs> so ants on a log and or peanut butter and crackers. I mean, those are, you know... Uh, some other options that not all kids like, but a lot of kids do, and they help with the protein issue. So as as long as we're talking protein, is now the time to admit that um, my nine-year-old twins adore salami? And, like, they just love it. And so, and they're both um, super-duper lean kids, and my son in particular is very small. Um, So is it wrong of me to think that I'm like, well, you know, they really... They're they're not overweight by any means. Is am I kidding myself? I'm thinking it's okay that they eat salami. I think salami is a good option. You know, if it it fits some you know the categories that you want in terms of protein, and also you know 
if they were subsisting completely on salami, (laughs) you know, (laughs) that might be a problem. Uh But I'm guessing that there's some salami mixed in with a lot of other uh, options. Tomatillos. Tomatillos, right. (laughs) (laughs) Sarah, this is, everyone else is like, I can't get my kid to eat broccoli or not eat like a plate of white. And Sarah's like, salami and raw tomatillos. Like, it's like, you know, (laughs) it's a different stratosphere. I would problems. like to say I was um, I was recently spent some time with um, a mother runner named Nicole and she was talking about how her kids um, eat sushi and I'm like they know oh, my kids eat sushi too and I'm thinking rolls and and she's like and I'm not talking rolls I mean in sashimi and I was like whoa okay well we got to tell this a dimity because my kids are like unadventurous compared to those oh, so I won't even eat the rice so anyway. <laughs> Um, okay, so the last the last eating question before we move on to activity stuff um, is from Jennifer, and she says, "I have three girls who hate my desire for clean eating, and I guess I'm a, I am um, interpreting clean eating as eating like Whole Foods, you know, the outside of the grocery store kind of shopping, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they complain nonstop and refuse to eat fanta- fantastic dishes if they contain anything out of their ordinary. Help." <laughs> Well, um, I'm pretty sure this is a a challenge that many parents face. And one thing I would say is that um, we as parents need to uh, be patient with our kids and, and sort of think about it as, even when they're, you're serving something that they're not eating now, that over time exposure to that, and it's sort of a waiting game till your your kids maybe decide to take up some of some of these healthier eating habits. Um, one of the strategies uh, that that Jennifer might be able to use is to um, to. In, instead of giving the kids the recipe all put together, but there, I'm guessing that there are probably elements of what goes into the food that she's cooking that they would eat. And so, you know, giving her kids those foods that aren't necessarily mixed into the full fantastic dish that she's making. Um, so you're not cooking something completely separate for the kids, but they're getting parts of what you're cooking anyway. So another thing is that we were mentioning before as well is getting them involved in the food preparation. They might be a little bit more interested or engaged if if they're part of um, the recipe picking and making. Um, so that that's another strategy as well. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, I've sometimes done that because I find that it's so hard to decide what to make for dinner. And so then I'm like, well, I'll just ask the kids. Like, And, and on occasion, they've had some good ideas. So... <laughs> I have to say that can be, you know, the one of the more... I don't know, stressful or tedious parts of, of a day is figuring out oh. yeah, what you're going to make for dinner. Oh, precisely. Oh exactly. One of the more, it's, it's totally <laughs> right. the one. Right. right. Some days when I wake up and I realize that like I have really good leftovers or something that I'm taking out of the freezer, I'm like, oh, thank goodness I don't have to decide that for today. <laughs> <laughs> a weight has been lifted off my shoulders. So how do you get kids to be more active if they, because I mean, I, fi- I find this even with my kids sometimes, it's just unless they are in an organized sport, they're not doing anything. They're lying on their bed or, I mean, my kids aren't playing piano, but I'm glad Aang's are. <laughs> or Aang's are. 
Well, yeah, I mean, it is it is a challenge um, for parents to sort of figure out what is a good match between, you know, for their kid in terms of being, you know, physical, different activities that are more um, physical, and, and that match changes over time as well. Um, so I, I think, you know, it's not and I'm sure she's probably thought of a lot of different activities that um, could be tried, but there are you know, lots of different um, options available usually in people's communities in terms of park and rec and so forth that are different. I was actually, when I was coming back from my run this morning, I was uh, running by our community center and they were offering yoga for kids of all ages. And so I think we, you know, need to think sometimes beyond the traditional sports to figure out other activities um, that are physically active that kids would like to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know that we have... Um... My son's very agile, as Dimity has talked about, <laughs> and his climbing uh, tendencies. And so that we have, there's a couple um, rock climbing and bouldering gyms here in Portland that I've thought about um, getting him involved in. Or there's, um, we really like watching America Ninja Warriors <laughs> on TV. <laughs> and uh, there's a parkour gym over um, in a neighboring town. And one of John's good friends is really keen on doing it. So we're talking to that boy's dad about carpooling over to parkour classes and just, I don't know. And he's taken Tai Chi and they do dance. And I, I, I think, I think you're right about, I mean, like you say yoga. I mean that I always feel like that's a gold mine when you find a kid's yoga class because they can be a little tricky to find, but, um, or a lot of gyms also will offer classes for kids like, you know, adult workout facilities sometimes will have like an after school kids program and those can be fun and just a kind of um oh good mix of activities so the kid doesn't get bored with just saying oh okay i only play tennis you know that gets dull or something Right, right. And and another option too, and it some of this this depends on the availability and where you where mm-hmm. you live and so forth, but trying to figure out how you can kind of orchestrate physical activity just into daily routines, um, whether it's, you know, being able to walk or bike somewhere in your neighborhood to get to something else. So mm-hmm. the the point isn't to just go for a bike ride, but it's to bike to your friend's house. Um the, that's another way to help kids be active. Mm -hmm. And another thing that I think was thinking about too is that, you know, every, you know, every hour of a kid's day doesn't have to involve active, you know, free hour doesn't have to involve active movement. And the things like playing the piano or reading or doing other kind of creative but not physically active things, those are great things for kids to be doing and definitely preferable to, you know, watching TV or, Mm -hmm. you know, the endless kind of uh, gaming and the sure, or bicker or just bickering stuff. at each other that that you know that takes up a lot of time at our house. <laughs> what is the en- energy expenditure associated right. with bickering? Right. I don't How many know. calories per hour do you burn? How many gold? Yeah, we haven't, per hour? Well, we haven't studied that yet. Right. Because also because yeah, bickering yeah. sometimes does lead to wrestling and fighting. So you know that's physical, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, and yeah, the good old. I mean, it depends on how old your kids are, but the kind of the good 
old-fashioned just playing games in your neighborhood or going to the playground, you know, that's just fun free play. And there's some research that suggests that kids are actually more active when they're doing that kind of outdoor play than they are, you know, when they're when they're doing sports uh, and kind of standing around a lot of the time. Ooh, sure. I mean, that makes sense. Well, actually, that you bring up American Ninja Warrior, um, we're into that as well. Okay. Uh, the, the male, the younger male child more than the rest of us. But, um, but he went over to a friend's house the other day and they'd set up a course and it was like, you know, jumping on the, the couch cushions like they do at the beginning, you know, from side to side and running up the stairs and doing something else up there and then going out and doing the monkey bars. And nice. I mean, I, you know, when my kids were younger, they're kind of over it now, but I mean, that was really, I always loved setting up obstacle courses for them and then they'll, then they'll kind of do it for a while or maybe set up their own or whatever. I mean, I think sometimes I know me, I sometimes feel like it has to like, you know, I'm going for a three mile run. So that's what my kids need to have that kind of structure of like, you need to go do something. And then when you're done, you're done, you know, but instead just like trying to integrate it into just kind of every day, you know, just a, you know, a half an hour play session is great. I have to say right. that. Yeah. Just active play. I was putting together uh, my playlist for my recent half marathon and, um, John actually suggested a song to me, and I was like, I never heard it. It's by a band called the McLean Sisters. I was like, how did, and it's called Go. And I was like, oh, I love this, her playlist. I was like, how did you find this song, John? And he said that it um, is his new friend Anna's favorite song. And I said, oh, uh-huh, how do you know that? He goes, oh, because we like to go in Anna's basement and jump up and down on the couches while we sing along to it. Oh, <laughs> perfect. <laughs> I'm like, okay. That's great. That's yeah. great. Yeah. So. Well, and so so if you get them active, uh, Melanie has a question about how did you differentiate between leading your child to activity like a bike ride or a walk or a run and pushing too hard? Um, you know, she's wondering if it's unreasonable to ask her six-year-old kid to ride a bike alongside me while I run for, while I run. And she said it would be like 45 minutes max. I mean, how do you kind of know when you, when you stepped over the limit of what your kid can do, you know, do you, you want to, you want to keep them going and you don't want to make it unfun for them, you know? So there's, there's definitely a very fine line between that. So how do you kind of know how to push, but not push too hard? Well, I think your kid, you have to read your kid's cues, and a lot of the time, at least my kids would be, uh, I would be able to tell, you know, oftentimes you can be able to tell when you're pushing too hard because they complain or just stop. And I think you you really just have to kind of be reading your kid's cues and know your you know your kid and what they'll be able to do. And so, you know, if you're wanting to take your six-year-old on a run, you might just start at 45 minutes seems a lot to me. That was riding a bike. That was the, the yeah, kid was riding yeah, a bike. Yeah, right, riding a bike. But even that, um, at the age of six, some kids that might be just great, but some kids it might be too much. So just experimenting, maybe starting out, you run to the – and your kid bikes with you to just the playground and just see how it goes and try to build from there. And if you get resistance, you know, back down. Um, but yeah, it's really, again, it's all of this with, whether it's with physical activity or healthy eating, it's all about kind of balance and trying to sort of shape it in the direction you want, but without pushing too hard. Cause that, that could create, you know, resistance and, and uh, not the thing that you want. Mm -hmm. Backlash or resentment. 
Right. Yeah. So, so Anne wants to know, uh, this question is still sort of related. Um, Anne wants to know, how can I help my kids who don't play sports stay active in the colder months? And that to me was the question that really triggered it off. I've had that same problem all summer that, um, my 12 year old daughter plays soccer in the fall and spring and in the winter she plays basketball and, and she dances throughout the school year, but she has just been a sloth this summer. So like, I don't know, just how, particularly for kind of the older kids, like how do you, how do you, I don't know, just give, give them a push. I mean, I literally, I've sometimes just been like, Phoebe, you have to walk around the block four times. Or if we have or, orders to be shipped from the store and we've already missed the post postal carrier, I'm like, okay, you have to walk down to the, to the, you know, mailbox that's three blocks away. Well, I think that those are great strategies um, that, (laughs) again, it goes towards trying to kind of engineer a schedule, to engineer physical activity into a schedule. Um, So whether it's, you know, helping with some kind of errand like that and Mm -hmm. and having walking or biking be part of that, I think those are good strategies. The flip side of the winter, I mean, I live in Minnesota, so I definitely... (laughs) We all here face that challenge, and, um, you know, I think it's a combination of things trying to find places indoor, indoor things where you can be active, like, you know, climbing or ice, you know, roller skating, or there's lots of different, usually in in places, indoor activities for um, being active, and also trying to figure out um, what what you can do outside, you know, having the right clothing so that you can go um, skating or or even just playing, again, getting back to that active play we were talking about, just um, depending on the age of your kids, playing around in the snow. So, you know, I think if, if you live in a, in a cold climate and don't, you know, figuring out strategies for how to have fun outside is an important part of that. Mm-hmm. And actually, I just want to zoom out for one minute because I, um, I feel like, you know, as 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 runners and people who love numbers and kind of obsess on that, I'm just curious, like, what what guidelines do you guys recommend for having like activity a day? Is it half an hour? You know, seven days a week for kids of us? You know, like most like elementary school kids, or I mean, what's a good kind of benchmark to to think about? A good benchmark to think about is um, about an hour to, you know, I could more is typically always better, but about an hour of 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 moderate to vigorous in in the more technical way that people in my field talk about it, physical activity or active play. Um, and it doesn't have to be in, it's not the same as for us where we, you know, go out for a run for 45 minutes, an hour or, or whatever it is. It doesn't have to be all in one kind of activity bout, but across the course of a day kind of accumulating um, about an hour a day of, of, of active play or active um, sports is, is what we shoot for, knowing okay. that that isn't going to happen every day. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then on the flip side of that, too, is the recommendations for um, screen time. Um, and there, we the recommendations are to have kids um, be watching TV or, or playing kind of on the computer that's non-school time or other kinds of electronic devices less than two hours a day. Yeah, I just okay. saw that. I just took my kids to their annual um, 
pediatrician appointment yesterday and we got handouts um, for the various ages. And when I saw that two hours on there, my first thought was, oh my gosh, that's so lenient, two hours. And I'm like, uh, yeah, my kids totally exceed that on summer days. So, <laughs> And, you know, you typically think of summer when kids are active, but there's so much unstructured time mm-hmm. in the summer for kids a lot of the time that it can, it can be, you know, tricky mm-hmm. to figure out, you know, how to keep them engaged in, in you know, activities that are, either physically active or somehow, you know, mm-hmm. using the brain or being social in a positive way. Right, right. So, the- so our last question comes from um, Jacqueline, um, and she's wondering how to combat the constant barrage of crappy food, that's her word, not ours, um, that accompanies every kid activity, you know, which sends the message, run around for 30 minutes and get chips in a Capri Sun. I mean, it's definitely this like reward society, do something and I'm going to give you sugar or junk food. Um, do you guys talk about that at all? We do. We do. And um, one, you know, I think at at some level, because it is so common in our culture to have that happen, is to you kind of have to have a grassroots approach to it, I think, that um, you, you know, because sometimes it's your turn to do that, um, do the snack, and you can, you know, make different choices or even have the conversation about, with the other parents or, um, you know, whoever, the coach or whoever it is, about do, you know, do we even really need this? Um, and maybe we can have some water, but, you know, is it just sort of raising it <laughs> as a question. You may have water and gruel. Water and gruel, <laughs> and that's all you need. <laughs> and, it, you know, it really depends on how, um, you know, it, I guess that's first ask the question, does, is a is a snack or food kind of really essential or is it, you know, does it have to, do we have, you know, is, do we have to have the, you know, food associated with every occasion? Not, not to say again, balance, but, um, but yeah, just sort of questioning, do we really need that here at this point? And, and sort of thinking about that for yourself. And, and oftentimes, you, you, there might be other parents in, in the group who, who've been thinking the same thing that you have. Right. Yeah, and they're just, sure. I mean, it's a, it's a tricky question because, I mean, I know that I sometimes worry about being the one to bring that up because I'm afraid that my true, like, oh, I just really don't want to go to Costco and have to buy anything, like, will come out. But I do sometimes, uh, thankfully, none of our soccer coaches do that. But when other teams we play and I'm like, really? Like you get yogurt covered raisins and a Capri Sun and a bag of pretzels. Like, I don't know. It's some, it's really seems to go overboard so often. And, um, I don't know, being kind of more like a, a jailer doesn't sound like such a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, figuring out how to do it in a way where, um, that I think you have to pick and choose how you how you raise that issue to help people kind of you know respond to it, whether it's the kids or the other adults, uh, yeah. in a positive way. Yeah, I can tell you not how to do it. Um, I <laughs> my friend uh, Sally Kazumchek, who we had on, who has shares a lot of the same concerns that you do, Nancy. I mean, um, she's a registered dietitian and is very interested in getting um, kids and families eating a lot healthier. And so she started this whole movement called Snacktivism. Um, 
which is about getting, you know, the stuff off the soccer lines and that, you know, you don't, you don't kick a ball and get a Tootsie Pop for it. And you don't, you know, I mean, my kids' classes, like they come home with Smarties um, taped onto their homework when they do something well. And I'm like, you you don't have to get, I mean, I like the Smarties connotation, but like you don't need sugar for, you know, getting a hundred percent on a math test, you know? Um, And so, uh, so anyway, so she wrote this whole post about soccer snacks and I was all fired up because we are the team that does Capri Suns and, you know, cupcakes if it's somebody's birthday and this and that. And you're just like, wow. And especially Ben, you know, my son who does not, he's not a particularly agile or fast runner and chooses not to run a lot of the time. So like he likes to play goalie actually. So he's sitting the goal for, you know, half an hour and then he goes to eat like 600 calories. Right. Um, So anyway, so Sally wrote a post about it and I sent it on to email to all of the people on the team. Like, Hey guys, do you want to do this? And I got some very, like, you're not going to tell me what to feed my kid and blah. And I was like, whoa. And I mean, we live in a very, um, you know, I mean, I feel like we live in a very like community where a lot of the adults are like-minded. And of course, I feel like we all have our kids' best interests at heart. But yeah, you just, I, you have to, I, that was a big eye opener that not everyone's going <laughs> to feel the way that I do. Yeah, I think maybe it starts with maybe a conversation on the sidelines and then just kind of, you know, take the pulse of the people who are you're standing around with and then be like, oh, okay, it seems like we have a little bit of critical mass here. Maybe we bring it up on email or something like that. So, and whereas if you're kind of taking the pulse and you're like, okay, I'm the only one who thinks it's overboard, I will just keep my trap shut. Yeah. <laughs> right. And think about that. Those times when your kid is in that situation is, you know, part of the 20% that, you know, that, that just small occasion isn't going to, you know, you break completely. Bank. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> the 20%. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks a bunch, Nancy. Uh, you gave us a lot of good things to think about and uh, tips to put into action in our own home. So thanks. Thanks so much for joining us. You're welcome. P-I-T-Z-A. Give a pizza. definitely learned my lesson sending that email i was about and, uh, to say too, i still man. feel I, I still feel the sting and that was like three i mean it, it, it was like three or four years ago oh my it was goodness really, but probably three years ago um maybe oh boy, two. But i don't know you, but ste- I just, you stepped into it with that one that was well i just didn't think i mean i didn't think it was that big of a deal to say let's bring string cheese instead of fruit snacks you know? oh i know you but, live you live in denver i mean you live in what most people would think is a very health conscious city in a very health conscious state and it's like yeah, wow yeah. it's like wow okay i guess they need the ultra size of gatorade even though they've been you know six-year-olds who are standing around yeah. you know not making contact with the ball but that's okay in 55 you know. degree weather so they haven't perspired at all yeah yeah exactly <laughs> or are they even old enough to sweat you know totally totally learn my lesson on that one yep yep oh my goodness all right well we hope you'll join us on our facebook page which is run like a mother the book our websites are another mother runner and motherrunnerstore.com. On Twitter and Instagram, we are at the mother runner. Our books, Run Like a Mother and Train Like a Mother, are available on Amazon as well as on our store site. And we're hard at work on our third book, uh, which will be out next March. And um, many happy miles to you. Hey!